Hey, hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Good morning, everybody. How is everyone doing? Hope you all are very, very well. Um, welcome to another episode of All the Places We Will Go. Um, as always, we have a very, very special guest for you um, this morning, Victoria Fox, who is the current CEO of the AAR Group. Now, look, she has had an absolutely fantastic career, and I'm super excited to, to, to learn and listen from Victoria about, about her journey, some of the ups and downs as well. But she's literally kind of been through it all, 20 years agency side, um, and that to um, a large chunk of that in very senior um, positions as well. Um, clearly, um, at the moment, CEO of the AIR group, but also um, has previously been CEO of LIDA, which is an MNC Saatchi um, group company as well. Um, what I'm really excited about, um, about talking to Victoria this morning is she's a massive champion of the diversity and inclusion space. Um, not to mention she's a major champion of women in industry, being on the executive committee of WACL. And if you haven't heard about um, of WACL, you must look it up. They're a fantastic organization that does quite a few events um, during the course of the year. And, and so if you're interested, do get involved in that. Um, Victoria has also been named a global champion of women in business by the Financial Times for two years in a row. Congratulations on that, Victoria. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just absolutely fantastic to have you on today, this morning, to hear from you to hear about your journey. So welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's an absolute privilege. It really is. Mark, so, uh, you. Yes, uh, thank you, Richie. And uh, good morning, everybody. And, and thank you, Victoria, for coming on the show. Thrilled to have you on. As always, a real privilege and pleasure to have such an amazing guest. Um, so just to get us started, so we're still in the UK anyway, a couple of weeks into more to go on lockdown to if anybody really believes that it's going to finish on the 2nd of December. So COVID drags on for the world. Um, so let's, let's get started with how, how it's been for you, I suppose, you know, how you've maintained energy um, and, yeah. uh, and, and maybe some of the silver linings as well as the tough stuff. Sure. Um, I think it's, it's full of highs and lows. And um, I think if I look at personal, for my personal life, I think one of the biggest highs has been that, the pace has slowed so this uh roller coaster that we're on uh it's just slowed down and some of it's been quite a mindful period in terms of things you are focused on family and uh, family dinners and walks with the dog and just i i don't know about you but i run at a thousand miles an hour with the social arrangements coming out of my ears and, and actually this has been quite it's been wonderful to strip back a bit more simple for a while um but uh, lows on a personal level my dad is going through ongoing chemotherapy and he's a man that likes to squeeze every last bit of joy out of life and I've seen him really strip back through it and I know that's not 
just him, I can really understand how difficult this is for people with vulnerabilities. And uh, that's really hard to see. Um, on, a, on a professional level, I've just been amazed and inspired by uh, what we've been able to achieve and shift um, in such a short period of time. Things that were planned for five years time have been done in five weeks. And it was so needed. Our industry needed to shift way before COVID came. Uh, and that's inspired me that that's actually manifesting itself now. Um, and the lows, I guess, I um, think we are a as a creative industry, and I mean creative with a big C across everything we do across marketing. Um, we need energy. We need human energy and interaction. And I really, really miss that uh, connection and just banter and ha and lateral thinking when you get together with people. Um, I think that's been tough. Victoria, I, I mean, first of all, um, sorry to hear about your dad. Um, Thank you. I, it's really, really challenging, I'm sure, um, on, on that level. And, 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 I, and I know that perhaps lockdown too is certainly not helping anyone at this point in time. And I think, you know, the excitement, or oh, I say the excitement, any sort of thing that could have been in lockdown one now has all gone away. And we were just talking about it pre-show as well, about how challenging, you know, this current period is when there seems no end in sight. But, but moving on from that, um, we have a lot of people here who will be of an international nature and perhaps not heard of the AAR group um, and yeah. what, what the ethos is. So perhaps give us a little bit of background. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I don't blame you for not knowing. We're a, a small management consultancy that's actually been around for 45 years. I took over as CEO uh, about 18 months ago. Uh, and really our whole reason for being is to help marketeers to, from a very neutral standpoint, um, advise them on how to shape and design their marketing ecosystem. And by their marketing ecosystem, I talk about the sum of the internal and external resources, simple as that. How do you shape the how at that uh, to drive performance? And then how do we help you find the right external partners? And then ongoing, how can we support you to get the most uh, high performance out of the ecosystem. So whether that be marketing excellence training, whether that be working practices, design, whether that be relationship management and across all of those areas, it's about offering neutral, impartial advice, um, understanding what people want to achieve from a marketing strategy perspective and then helping them with the how, because the, the how is so important nowadays. So you, so, must, be, go on. you must be pretty busy right now then. Well, uh, yes, I, I'm, I, I would say that we have actually been had a, a good COVID. Who, 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 there are a few of us that have. And it's I, there's so much restructure going on because people are looking at how they come out of this in the right shape and fighting fit. So that's exactly where we can support uh, and uh, share our knowledge. I, I've, um, I've always thought of a, a good marketer as sort of a... Um, conductor or choreographer uh, to get that sort of that organism that ecosystem working uh, and I think the, the concept of AR is a really good one because of the impartiality and neutrality because you can you can get that by the combination of your own organization and a group but they don't always necessarily come with that impartiality so I, I the, the concept uh, I, I love but but let's go back to where it all began and I mean literally let's go back so can, can you tell us a little bit about um, you, you growing up maybe some of your childhood memories what you think characterized you as a child maybe um 
Uh, I need to lie down on the uh, therapist's yeah. couch now, don't I? Uh, I how I was a really happy child uh, and very sociable, but I lacked a huge amount of confidence. And I got that confidence by surrounding myself but with very confident people who carried me along. Um, my mum, my friends. Uh, so I, I can't look back and say I was anything but privileged, but I definitely didn't find my voice uh, and my um, leadership early. So where, where do you think, um, where do you think that did emerge? Because clearly you're in a you know, highly visible, highly pressurised leadership environment. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, leadership doesn't just sort of grow on a tree or click of a finger. So what, what, where do you think that sort of desire and ability around leadership came from? Um, it's a really good question. I, I think that um, the, the idea of being carried along in childhood probably it uh, came through in my early years of my career and I think I was very lucky that I fell into something that I was good at and that I loved and that I enjoyed which was really about people and getting getting building relationships building trust really understanding the business that I was uh, supporting and and therefore being able to advise and organize what's needed to happen um, and I think the main thing that happened was I had two or three incredible mentors or sponsors who believed in me probably more than I believed in myself. And that's not everyone's experience. But for me, I felt propelled. The, the agency world has such a, a ladder. It's so easy to see where you go next. It's especially in client services. So you have account exec, account manager, senior account manager, all the way through to CEO. And I was sort of in this passive climbing of this ladder and actually quite propelled on that ladder by my mentors and sponsors who were always pushing me ahead of what I was actually probably comfortable doing I always thought oh I'm not quite ready and they were like no you are go for it so by the age of 27 I was uh, on the board of an agency called Partners Andrews Aldridge and head of account management um, and I think that I my leadership style came from that inherent imposter syndrome throughout and doing a good, really good job, but knowing I wasn't, I didn't have much ego around it. It was, uh, I was quite a hard grafter and just put my hand up for a lot of things. Um, but leadership has come gradually and there have been moments where it's really um, stepped up and uh, those moments I can see in my, in my story. You know, it's interesting because you talk about the fact that you fell into, say, a couple of those job roles. And then on the other hand, you talk a lot about sort of the fact that you've been a grafter and people giving those opportunities. So people clearly believed in you. Um, so what would you say perhaps are some of those ingredients that led to your success? Um, I think that I, um, I, I, <laughs> I really believe in the phrase that you have uh, two ears and one mouth and that you need to listen properly listen and understand before you push forward with the answers and I think in our business there's uh, a real need to listen and to uh, adapt change I'm not scared of change at all I, I think it excites me um, and I think that the qualities yeah, hard work um, curiosity I'm I, I, I'm really uh, believe that you should know your client's business as well as they do and dig and 
explore, even if it's not part of your remit. And I think that helps you to be a trusted partner. And that's where, as a trusted partner, you can excel. And that's the same internally in the jobs in the agency that you're running, but also externally with client partners that you are working alongside. You talk about curiosity. Um, it's something that comes up a lot uh, in these conversations in general within marketing. It's you know, and, and uh, Bruce McCall was the best marketing boss I ever had. And he said that's the number one uh, asset for any any half decent marketer. So where, where, where does your curiosity come from? And is it something you think you can continue to grow what's curious oh yeah no definitely I I my second chapter of my life that's come is definitely about the curiosity will be I take it even further critical thinking is definitely where the second part of my uh, life seems to be going I think it's a good thing and I'm excited about it. it comes from I grew up um in a northwest London Jewish family and we were very close and very um privileged and but we but we were I, I was always a little bit um unfulfilled I love the religion and I love the traditions but there was a bit of a uniform and a way of doing things and everyone was the same and I've always been uh wanting to be surrounded by people who have different views and different perspectives and I think that's just inherent in my personality and I really feel that I I I uh, flourished when I went to university and got to meet people from all over the UK and, and abroad. And then I came into the um, marketing and in advertising world. And again, I, I've been happy and I had a really good career, but I really noticed that there is just the same types of people, especially in agencies where uh, very white, very middle class, very rich rich in a vertical but, but it, and it's not that I don't enjoy the company but I love it when you see a completely different uh, lived experience coming together with another lived experience and what that, that infuse and create and that's just that's when I feel most excited and alive is when I'm in in environments where diversity of thought is really um, prevalent. And, and Victoria, I mean, I, by the way, I absolutely um, resonate with your with your sentiment there, and and uh, and love the fact that you know you've, you've actually you're a big champion of this space. I mean, what are some of the ways and, and things that people should be thinking about in order to have more diverse, more inclusive um, sort of workplaces, particularly at this moment where things are going digital and it almost makes it harder. Yeah, in, in... it does almost make it harder. Um, I think. Um... I'm going to start with discomfort. Um, and the reason I'm going to start with discomfort is because I don't think the change and the fundamental change we need to see is going to happen until people accept discomfort. You're not going to make change without it. And what I mean by that is discomfort to have those uncomfortable conversations. I think people have got very um, used to what they a uniform leadership team often thinks they're doing so brilliantly because everyone's in total sync and thinks in exactly the same way and so aligned and then they go forward but actually inject someone with quite a different view into it or a different lived experience and what you get is not easy to manage not as easy to manage because it's not it's not always comfortable because debate isn't always comfortable but you get such a much better richer answer when you um, uh, 
bring in um, imposing views and agitating. And agitation gets you higher, I think. And so that discomfort, all those things, we've, we've got to stop feeling um, discomfort with uh, the fact that we might get it wrong. I've heard that many times and I, I understand why. But equally, my view is that we will get it wrong, except that. But and what we have to do is not feel sorry for ourselves when we get critical feedback at moments where we have got it wrong, but actually learn from it and go, OK, yeah, you're right. I, I got that bit wrong, but. I'm moving on because I want to make a difference, but we will get we will get nowhere if people just hold back because they're scared of getting it wrong. And I think that's happening a lot. Um, and I think from a um, an inclusive environment, I know this sounds quite um, ethereal, but creating psychologically safe spaces where people genuinely can show up as themselves and feel not just that they are having to adapt that organisation, but the organisation is adapting to them and spaces that really let you celebrate difference. Um, and that's a really important part of it. Uh, don't try to simplify it. I mean, I, I did a course called Fearless Futures um, about three years ago, and I would love to ask anyone to have a look at their website because I think it is game-changing. It's a course called Design for Inclusion. And it's 72 hours in a room with a mixed cohort. So I had a call. I had 12 of us from totally different backgrounds. And I feel like that was the biggest pivot moment for me where I felt like everything I'd learned to that point was unlearned. <laughs> and suddenly they teach critical thinking and the fact that in order to build um, a, a, a future you that really is inclusive, we have to accept and acknowledge that the inequalities that exist are there because the systems, the institutions, the organisations are not uh, set up to help drive equality. And that's not simple, but it is achievable. It comes from genuinely the leadership in organisations, not just putting diversity and inclusion on a to-do list. People say actions, not words. But for me, it's, even, it's not even actions because actions is something you can action on a to-do list this isn't something you can action on a to-do list for me it is fundamentally linked to the business strategy and the success of that business and every decision every discussion every structural change you make needs to uh, design for that inclusion uh, and think about the voices that aren't in the room because they won't be in the room because at the moment we're a bit of an echo chamber um so that that's I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I definitely feel in my journey, I've educated, I've done a lot of uh, digging and educating myself. And I think there are just a, a few of those principles really will push us forward. Your passion for DNI is is quite long-standing. Um, so uh, I remember back, we had Magnus Jarber on the show a while back, who, who of course you know very well. And, and he, he kind of said it took a pandemic for him to really find his momentum as an advocate for DNI, even though he'd been campaigning for many, many years. Uh, and he talked very graphically about when George Floyd said he can't breathe. He felt Magnus had felt that for himself, but, but had been liberated through Black Lives Matter to, to, to double down. So I suppose as a longstanding campaigner, what, what did Black Lives Matter add, add for you and your personal momentum in this space? Um, I think that in any um, any area that needs to change, there are always moments that 
we take leaps rather than steps forward. And um, I feel that there is, um, it gave everyone affected um, a platform to say enough, to just push back and go enough. I've got, and, and, and they've shouldered so much this under the um, radar um, for so long. And I think it's just, it's, it's great that it's coming to the surface. I think that's really important that we, we are, I, I saw some um, uh, feedback on the Sainsbury's Christmas ad and this horrific backlash against the fact that a black family was used in it. I, I just, it blows my mind. But the, the feeling that actually that's not a bad thing that we have outed the racists and, and actually outed them so that people can't just, so many times you want people say to you, Look, I've been in this game quite a while. They say to you, well, there's not a problem there. Oh, it, we're not. We're, England isn't systemically racist. And I think you need moments like that to say, yes, it is. It's a problem. You might feel that they've heard a dialogue about it for a long while, but that needs to go on for much, much longer because the dialogue is only dialogue and the changes are still way off where they need to be. And I feel that about gender equality. People are a bit like, oh, Oh, I've done that. That's finished. Look at the women all around us, but there's so much more to do. And yeah, I think you can say you're bored of hearing about it. I just think we all have to be really resilient and say it doesn't matter if you're bored. There's so much more to do and we're going to keep driving forward. Um, but yes, I think that um, BLM is a moment of uh, leaping rather than stepping and uh, unlocking of voices that need to be heard and need to have an ability to make change because they've lived with this experience and this microaggression for, I mean, that's not microaggression, but they also live with microaggressions day in, day out. Like you try living with that. Absolutely. And of course, um, sort of a related topic, I and mean, you're one of the, the major champions of women in industry. Um, why, what motivated you to try to, to want to, to take up that gauntlet? And, and, and what are some of the, the ways that you've been able to overcome um, perhaps some of those inequalities that that, un, that sort of lie underneath the surface in that regard. I mean, at, at its heart, Wackle is an incredibly supportive network. Um, but I think what really got me going and why I, I, I didn't join for a long while and what got me joining, it was when um, Kerry Glazer, who was the founder of AAR, actually was president. And she uh, drove a new purpose for uh, Wackle and it moved from this, not disrespectful, but it moved from more of a dining club to a campaigning um, entity. And it had as its purpose driving gender equality in the marketing and communications industry. And there were three clear pillars of inspiring the next generation, supporting the existing Wacklers and generation, and campaigning and campaigning for change. There's big campaigns going on this week around. Um, pay gap and flexible working being a big uh, driver to help move the dial on gender pay gap but for me I got really uh, engaged um, when I was chairing with working on Wackle Gather in the Inspiration Pillar which is a huge event that happens annually and it's just a, a, a huge inspiration for a, a large number of people um, but then I took over the mantle of running Future Leaders Award and um I don't know. I get really passionate when I talk about the Future Leaders Award because it's really simple. It's about giving away money, uh, bursaries to people who have identified 
uh, gaps or blockages in their development and just offering training to unblock and to help them reach their full potential. Actually, giving away the money is the least of it. I think the application process basically says to you, stop, reflect. We are running at a thousand miles an hour. What is it that you have as your personal definition of success? Because it's different for everyone. And I think I really, this really resonates with me, which is you get carried along. I think actually stopping and reflecting on who you are, what you want to be, where you want to get to, and actually pivoting your your career so that you are fulfilled um, in a 360 way in your life and in your career. Um, And that's what the Future Leaders Award uh, does. Uh, And we have now got over, it's been going 15 years, Tess Alps founded it. Uh, And there are now 200 women in a network called Futures who have all won the award over the years. And uh, they're going to take over the world. They're brilliant. I mean, that the power of that network is incredible. And we've really, really pushed to get it outside of nepotism and people who know people and push it wide and far so that we get really diverse applicants. Uh, and they're helping to shape, shape help, help the next iterations of it because it's still not... Uh, perfect but I just think it's a brilliant initiative that should be um, uh, applauded but also uh, I'd love to see it for for men as well I think it's a great concept that anyone can do which is stop and reflect and and ask yourself these questions about what your personal definition of success is. In general Wackle does amazing stuff but I think particularly well I've heard people from coming back from Gather yeah, as life-changing um i'm less close to the future leaders uh, but again people i've talked to said you know this is this is life-changing as opposed to just sort of you know career and leadership changing um which which which, which is amazing so so let's let's turn to leadership a little bit so um you know how would how would you describe yourself as a leader with the, i suppose the following question what why would you want to work for you oh god <laughs> uh I tell I tell really dirty jokes. No, no, it's not that really. <laughs> no, I am heart on sleeve. I what you see is what you get. I am people first every time. Um, I am a grafter, um, and I, that may, probably means that I'm tough uh, and driven, um, but I'm fair. Um, and I think it's about I, I'm really comfortable sharing my vulnerabilities and. I, I set up something when I was at leader, which is, I think I really valued, which was um, the shadow board. Uh, and the shadow board was a group of young um, upcoming members of the team who we gave them the same challenges as our main board. And we said, can you just have answer the same questions from a different perspective? And it was really game changing. And then, then we implemented reverse mentoring. I just think there is so much to to learn, and I'm not. I think everyone can exchange knowledge. Um, so uh, yeah, that's how I tend to lead. What would, what would your team um, categorize or say about your leadership? Um, authentic, maybe. I'd hope. Um, I think they would say. I mean. I won an award last year for kindness in leadership um, and it was sponsored by the FT. And at the time I was a bit, uh, when I, when I was nominated, I, I was a bit embarrassed and I thought, oh, I, I don't, do I want people to think of me like that as a kind leader? Is it a bit fluffy? 
and then I put myself in hand and I, I am genuinely so proud to have won that award. It's probably one of the proudest things I've got because I think kindness in leadership is so incredibly important. Uh, and I don't mean being nice to people. I mean, kindness and leader is about bringing human qualities, being vulnerable, being authentic, um, but also empathetic. Um, and if you bring all of those qualities into leadership it doesn't make you less powerful it makes you more powerful um and the world is accepting that now and I think it didn't at the beginning of my career which is why I probably for a moment thought do I want to be described as a kind leader not a powerful leader um but I think you can be both and I think you should be both it's um it's interesting I've always felt that there's two taboos uh, in the conversation around leadership uh, one is about loneliness because the reality is it gets more lonely the more higher up you get and the other is kindness, because as you say, is it a signal of weakness? But I'm always drawn to the quote, be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Uh, lovely quote, uh, not mine, of course. And, um, you know, of course, it's, but it starts with yourself, being kind to yourself. So how, how, do you, how do you be kind to yourself through the, 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 the tricky times and the undulations? I, I don't think I've ever been that brilliant at this. Um, and I think that... Uh, I, I divert for one minute, which is uh, 18 months ago when I, after I'd done the Fearless Futures course, I um, I did something that's very unVictoria and very brave, not the bravest of people. And I leapt without a job to go to. I knew I wasn't on the right path. I knew I didn't want to do the job. So that I was doing the next role was a global role. Um, I just didn't, it wasn't, I needed time out and I took six months out. Uh, and I've never done that in the whole of my career and in that six months I really invested in me and what I realized is I'm really good at helping my team my kids my husband and actually I need to invest in being healthy selfish that's the phrase I like to, to call it um, and healthy selfish is about giving yourself the energy to be able to be energetic for others as well and I took up tennis and I mean topspin forehand now <laughs> uh, although not now because of COVID uh, and I just slowed things down a bit and just started to think about what I wanted to get out of things and that was actually just having some uh, me time really. Victoria I absolutely what a lovely what a lovely turn of phrase to use um, just kind of keeping on your keeping on the sort of the glide path of your career um, I would sort of call you a serial agency leader, um, sort of that's something that I guess you tried of being agency side, but of course there's always two sides to the marketing coin. Um, and, you know, whether it be reflecting on your own career or perhaps um, perhaps giving advice to, to some people who may be watching, um, is it important to get uh, experience both sides of the coin, agency and client side, or how has it been for you in that respect? Um Good question. I, I think it's always important to understand the holistic industry. And that's why I love the job I've landed in, because I, stand, I sit at a point where I can look across the whole industry and all the changes. And it is cyclical and there are themes, so you get to see all of that. Um, I think it's hard when you start. I, I, I encourage that um, you try both, both agency, consultancy or um client side I most of my stints I've worked in advertising digital shopper marketing CRM I've moved different types of agency and then I did a stint in Matalan at Skelmersdale in Matalan and while I 
decided it wasn't for me to be client side. It was a brilliant stint. I, I, I lived in Skelmstel, apparently the highest suicide rate in the UK, very many roundabouts. I lived there for six months and I really threw myself into running a retail account on the ground in, in the, um, and I, from that day on, any account I ran, I made sure that I was partly in the client and partly in the agency because I think the separation is, is so irrelevant. Uh, so Star Alliance, I spent quite a lot of time in the offices in Frankfurt and I always believe that you were just a blend of, of the team as opposed to the agency and the client. So if you can't do it by jumping between and seeing the different sides of the coin, I would say your role is not to be on one side of the coin. It is to be... Um, part of and the businesses that you're supporting and get get in there spend time in the offices when they reopen um uh, and really um be curious about why why it works like it does and how it works and what makes it tick oversimplified metaphor for agency and client is a bit like the forwards and backs in rugby you know you uh, you're all one team in the end and you have your differences and nuances but ultimately you, you, you live off of each other and together are stronger anyway that's just my sort of uh, my foible on that one no, I agree with uh, that so um so in, in terms of inspiration I'm sure you've had you, you mentioned you've had a number of great mentors um we, we all need a dollop of inspiration now and again so so I suppose what and who have inspired you along the way um then I, I think I could pick many but I'm going to pick one and I'm going to pick I'm not going to pick someone in the public space then there are many at the moment who inspire me but Lisa Thomas is who I'm gonna say inspires me um Lisa Thomas was until recently global head of brand for Virgin but for me she has been my career fairy godmother really um and the reason she inspires me is because she manages the impossible which is to be super smart super uh, respected but she has kindness in bucket loads and generosity of spirit to help others to propel forward. And I, uh, there's that wonderful phrase that there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women to, to get uh, up the ladder. And she epitomizes it. And she hired me when I was a baby uh, and really believed in me and pushed me forward. And then she rehired me as a CEO um, when I had a six-week-old baby, Annie, um, who uh, I was going, I can't do this job. I'm not, I can't even get out of my pyjamas. And she was saying, you can do it and we'll do it together and I will support you through it. And I just think that's, that is kindness and leadership in action. And he then became president of Wackle uh, and pulled me into uh, Wackle and then on to her exec and then chairing the Future Leaders Award. And she inspires me because she is... Um, there's nothing she can't achieve, but she also never looks out for just herself. It's always about bringing up others with her. What a, what a lovely she, she is fantastic. So, Victoria, let me ask, um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, really good question. I would just, I wish I could, I don't think, it, maybe it wouldn't ever help, but I would wish I could go back and say, believe in yourself more and don't get carried along. Be more honest with yourself and apply critical thinking to you and what you want to achieve. 
but I'm not sure it would actually have helped me. And I, I think sometimes you have to go on a journey to find your voice and find uh, what makes you uh, get up in the morning and want to um, go to work. But I would say just believe in yourself and, and you can find inner confidence um, would be my talk back to my young self. Very relevant for you, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and be kind to yourself. I think anyone coming into this industry, for, the, for anyone listening, and I know this is about coming into this industry, just be kind to yourself. It's a really tough time. There aren't going to be floods of jobs, but my advice would be um, that you need to raise your hand for any opportunity and just grab hold of it and be curious within it and find and just learn by finding your way around those opportunities and I, we I stole three values from Barack Obama no less for my family which are kindness honesty and hard work and I live by those and honesty is not just about being truthful honesty is about being honest to yourself and what you want and what you actually will thrive and succeed in so, so you've already achieved a lot, but you've got lots left on my guess, is my guess. So what, what's next and what's to come? What else do you want to achieve? Um, I, I want to do, I want to um, take AAR to a place where it is um, a safe haven and a really strong partner to any brand that is looking to make change I and mean, everyone's making change in this market and be a proper trusted advisor on that journey. Uh, and personally, I want to see and play a role in um, helping brands and agencies to see how important it is that um, a diverse workforce that is truly inclusive and equitable is going to help us be brilliant and use the powerful voices that, and tools that we have to change modern Britain. And that's quite a lofty ask, but I think I could do a little bit in the position that we sit in. And that's my uh, ambition. Um, Victoria, we have a, a question coming in from Phil. Uh, hi, Phil, how's it going? Hope you're well, um, good to see you here. Um, so, Victoria, you sound like a strong advocate for the need for self-work. Um, just lost that there. Um, work, um, work at developing yourself. How do you encourage others to do this as well? Um, I don't think the world... I think every, if, if everyone takes responsibility for themselves and working on themselves and making themselves the best version they are, I think the world, that's how the world will move on. If people are actually willing to go look at themselves and critically analyze themselves and say I do this and it's not right or I want to do so I would say start small but really self-reflection all the time is that don't get carried along don't just um assume what, what's around you is right and critical thinking yes is 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 my gift read up on it and it isn't easy I now it's made me exhausted since the fearless teachers course because I read newspapers and I just don't take it at face value anymore. I think about things. I'm probably the most annoying dinner party guest because I call out when I think people are talking a load of, uh, you know what. And I think it's about going on a journey to to finding yourself, but also making sure that you are um, uh, critical of what's you what's put in front of you and what you, you believe 
to be true. You mentioned critical thinking a few times. How, how does the interplay between being critical versus being overly self-critical? So it's that bit about never being satisfied and so an imposter syndrome. The, the two kind of yes, they rub up against. I think I'm when I'm talking about uh, critical thinking, I'm th I'm thinking you have to invest in educating yourself and hearing different perspectives. Whose voices are you not hearing? Whose lived experiences are not in this? It might look so obvious that the answer is X. Is the answer X? Have you really investigated it enough? Have you challenged the um, current thinking so that what, what you are um, proposing genuinely has got all the voices in the room? And that's what I mean by critical thinking. In terms of critical thinking of yourself, I mean, you, it's, it's about trying to really understand whether you are fulfilling everything you can as a person. And it, that's about not criticising yourself. God, we've got to be kind to ourselves. We do what we can in, in the moments we're in. But it's about critically thinking about, what is this what makes me tick? Is this what makes me feel happy and successful whatever your version of success may be um so yeah I hope it's not come across as being too harsh on yourself because we are our own harshest critics and that's not going to help yeah that, that's, that's the point really because you've got to hold back the criticism on, on on oneself um Richie do we have we had one more question there didn't we we do we do um so I think this is our, our last question of of the morning here from Saffron um, so Saffron talks about uh, the fact that she loved your insight uh, around the importance of discomfort. Um, can you advise on how to take others on the journey of embracing this as well? Um, well, uh, I think that it is about uh, actually teaching that concept of uh, discomfort and opening that dialogue. And I think showing, I think, Showing, showing by doing. Um, so I, I always try and lean into conversations that um, make me uncomfortable because I don't really know the outcome of it or what I'm going to unlock. But I think that's really important to allow people to have their voice, even if it, it's a bit of a affront to what you believed in the past or that's the discomfort I think you need to encourage and it needs that we need to talk about that like unconscious bias I think is tr it, those training it's really important but actually just listening and allowing people's voices in a safe space to come through that's inclusion that's when people are going to thrive in a workplace when it when someone comes in and goes you know what when I bring in food from home and I and people go oh what's that and I can smell it across the office that's really offensive to me that should be allowed to be said in a safe space so that people um, might feel discomfort because they were the ones who said it, but create an environment where it is, you can, you can have that, you can have that challenge out there. Um, and that comes from leadership and um, showing that it's, it's okay. And that's what you want to encourage in your environment. That's a, that's a great final message. Apologies if the audio is a bit bouncy, but that's a great, that's a great final message. So uh, as ever, the time has gone by in the blink of an eye and we're up. I mean, it's, it's, it's gone in a flash. Um, so I just have to say a massive thank you, Victoria. If I, if I reflect back, you've uh, educated us about how we need to be healthy, selfish, um, that we need to lean into the discomfort, uh, that we need to have critical thinking. But more than anything, I think your people-centric approach 
shines through. Um, and as, as I didn't get a chance to say earlier, but again, also my thoughts with you as regards your, your father and our best wishes for him. But more than anything else, thank you for giving us your time on this uh, Friday morning on behalf of Richie, myself and everybody else. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. So great weekends, everybody. Thank you.